The human heart beats about 2.5 billion times in our lifespan, which sounds like a lot at first. But as anyone who's gotten at least to their mid-30s will tell you, it goes by pretty quickly. The older you get, the more quickly the years seem to pass, and before you know it, you're struggling to understand the new social media platform, you're seeing clothes you wore as a kid come back into fashion, and you're constantly on reality sites looking up houses just for the hell of it. And then one day, death comes knocking at your door. From a biological standpoint, here's what happens next. Our bodies relax so much that we release our bowels and urine. Your blood stops flowing, so it starts to pool in whatever body part is closest to the ground. And at the funeral home, if you're getting a pretty direct burial or cremation, then they'll put you in a special refrigerator to keep you from going stale. But if it's going to be a week, or if you have an open casket plan, they'll remove all of your liquids and fill you up with embalming fluid to keep you looking as nice as they can. They'll get you some makeup, they'll dress you up, and then they'll put you on display for the living so they can have closure. Spiritually speaking, it's kind of up for grabs. It could be a moment of transcendence where you follow a bright light and end up in heaven with all of the people you've lost. It could be a chemical burnout where you just feel high for a second and then poof, gone. Or perhaps there's some sort of waiting plane of existence where you wander around like a bedsheet in the wind searching for the next opportunity to live again. As far as we can tell, there's no way of knowing without actually passing over yourself, and most of us are avoiding that at all costs. But we can't avoid it. And for some of us, it comes far too early in life. This past week, I got news that a dear old friend of mine is at the end of his life. And when I heard this, the first thing I did was pop on my camera and record a video for him telling him how much of an impact he had on my life. Our heart beats 2.5 billion times in the blink of an eye. And when we pass, there are often thoughts of, I didn't do enough. I think it's hard to realize as a person that impacts can feel small to you, but huge to other people. And that's what I want to talk about today, how certain deaths shape our lives, the unexpected outcomes of loss, and the power of grief. Good evening, world, and welcome to Haunting Season. I'm joined today by my co-host, Cody of The Living. Hello, Josh. Hey, Cody. Uh, and we also have our executive producer, Patrick, who we lovingly call Bubsy. <laughs> Hello, Josh and Cody. Bubsy's proud to be here. Hey. Good to see you, Bubs. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Thanks for joining me, guys. Are you super excited to talk about death and grief today? Woohoo! Chomping at the bit, as they say, uh, to get right down to the, the nitty-gritty and the grief city. What a, what an intro too, Josh. It meant 2.5 billion heartbeats in the average life. That, like you said, it, it it's a big number, and at the same time, it really doesn't feel that big. It's uh, wow. I've never known that. It's interesting just to sit with that number. Yeah, you know, the first thing that came to mind when I saw that was um, when you buy a brand new digital camera, it'll tell you like the life expectancy of the shutter. So it'll be like, you know, uh, mm. oh, it's gonna be good for. Uh, 700,000 snaps, 700,000 sure. pictures. And you kind of think like, wow, I just spent like two grand or whatever on this brand new camera and I only have 200,000 or 700,000 photos to take. What am I going to take? You know, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of a yeah. weird, yeah. scary Yeah, we should get that thing. Well, we should, we should be like presented that as soon as we're born. Like, hey, you're only given 2.5 billion. 
you, you think you had at, you, at the moment of birth you had the the capacity the to card take in yeah that. just implant it and then you just carry this card around <laughs> with you when life got like pretty bad or like you know you get a flat tire you stub your toe or something like that you just pull out the card and be like all right <laughs> I, this is really nothing. I've only got 2.5 billion heartbeats. <laughs> you have had worse ideas. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much for, for coming on the show and being uh, willing to talk about this topic. It's a really tough one. Um, I've I've experienced, and I think a lot of people have experienced in the past year, um, just like a, a weird amount of grief and a weird amount of loss um, surrounding a, a weird array of things like we feel lost Mm. for uh our friendships that we you know we can't hug people in person or like loss around you know spending a year away from our parents or whatever it is you know so it's a it's a weird challenging topic and so i asked both of you to come up with a story reflecting on some part of the timeline of of death loss grief uh and mine starts with the moment of death and and the few moments afterwards so i think i should go first here we go It's a cold March morning in Brooklyn. It's around six in the morning and I'm sitting at my desk in my home office editing Haunting Season when a sound comes from my closet directly to my left. It's a sort of shuffling and then a thud and I look down and I see Tom, the cat, and I laughed a little bit. Oh, Tom, you big idiot, I thought. And then I went back to work. Cats fall all the time. You know, the old cliche, cats have nine lives. So I think nothing of it and I go back to editing. And after a moment, I don't remember how long, but I realize he hasn't really moved. And I look over, and his head is up, but his arms are splayed out, and his legs look weird, and he's looking around kind of like someone drunk is operating the cat puppet from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And this isn't all too strange just yet. That's kind of Tom's MO. While my ex and I had just gotten him, Tom was a very old cat. And the story is kind of preposterous, and to keep it short, One day we get this text from her mom that says, I'm putting your cat down when I get back from my trip. I'm sick of looking at him and buying cat food or something of that nature, which launches all kinds of conversations that result in us borrowing a car, driving to New Jersey in the middle of a massive snowstorm and stealing the cat. I actually should use this as a setup for a horror story and maybe that'll be my next one. But anyway, so Tom had been living in my office for a few months and on this cold March morning, with my ex asleep in bed, I climb down onto the floor, eye level with Tom, and I see that his eyes are going two different directions, and he looks scared and confused. His head is going back and forth. I wonder if he's either blind or seeing double, but I can tell he's probably had a stroke. Nothing on his body is moving other than his head, and his front paws are bolted into the ground, holding on for dear life. I'm just totally unsure of what to do, so I lay there with him, and I look him in the eye you know, one of them, uh, and begin to pet him and tell him stories. I tell him about how much we enjoyed him being there. I thank him for his warmth and kindness. I tell him the story of when we rescued him from the evil mother-in-law on the top of the mountain. I just keep talking and telling him he's loved for about two hours until he finally passes away right in front of my eyes. And this was the first time I had witnessed death in any capacity, and I was startled by how quickly this warm, vibrant body became a cold and vacant shell. It really felt like a passing of a spirit from inside the cat to an invisible next plane. It was beautiful and a sad moment that only I witnessed, and I knew I would carry this moment for the rest of my life. So the ex was still asleep, and I didn't really know what to do next, so I went back to editing my video. 
Yeah, I just kind of got back in my desk chair next to the dead cat body and started layering in sound effects for the latest and greatest haunting season. You know, so when she woke up later that morning, I had to break the news and we decided it was better that she didn't see the body. So I was going to dig a grave in the backyard, call her out for a little funeral burial moment. Uh, which there were two problems with that. One, it was March and about 15 degrees outside, so the ground was frozen solid. And two, the last tenants used the backyard as a dump when they refinished the bathroom. So it took forever to dig this cat grave that was maybe three feet deep. And because of the rocks and all the junk, it was only big enough to exactly fit a dead cat body. But there was no expansion happening. There was rock on the bottom, root on one side, junk on the other, and it just had been hours now of the cat laying in my office floor. So I thought it'd be a little tight, but it'll work. I grab an old pillowcase that we didn't care about, and I went into my office, and I don't know how else to say it, uh, rigor mortis had set in. So here I am on the other side of the door, my ex waiting for the processional through the apartment, and Tom is stiff as a board, and he died with one paw out like straight out, and the rest was curled pretty neatly into a crescent or a fetal position, but this one paw was just straight out. So I'm now suddenly freaked out because I've never touched a dead thing before, maybe a mouse or a bird, but they were never stiff like wood. They were limp and cartoonish. This was really bizarre. So I reached out and I grabbed his extended paw and I start to peel him off the floor and his bottom side is just as flat as the floor. And I'm holding him by this one paw and I slide him into the pillowcase and then tried to position him in my arms like he was limp and precious and to hide the fact that he's just like a frozen bag of chicken wings. So we we go as a family unit to the little grave that I dug and she says some words and I say some words and it comes time to put him in this grave and I realize that the damn paw sticking out is going to be a real problem. It's sticking out so far, uh, he's not going to fit in the grave. So my ex is standing there crying, waiting for this to be over. And I squat near the grave with my body blocking the action. And I try to bend his paw in. And it slaps back out like a ruler on a school desk, just like... And I don't know what to do. And we're moments away from her asking what's wrong. And we're both freezing. And so I just mutter, I'm so sorry. And with all of my strength, I force his little arm back against his body, shove him forcefully into the ground and place a large rock on top of him to hold him in place and just start quickly burying him. So about three hours later, I was on the phone with my dad telling him about this whole experience when he revealed that if I had just waited maybe another hour or two, the body would have gone limp again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's wow, that hilarious story. so you wait so you had this cat laying next to you for how long you said it, it was like three it was you hours your editing and then and then the next morning you were like all right well we're in morning now did you did you have taps also I'm, I'm curious like did you have like some sort of like uh music that you played while you did the burial no probably just some like whimpering coming from me as i'm bending the, and <laughs> trying i trying to uh, bust the yeah, leg back horrible yeah. images horrible images yeah you're welcome yeah <laughs> so that was my uh my one on my only one-on-one experience with death i've been there in the after i've been there uh in the before but i've never been there for the exact moment except for with tom the cat wow man, man it was wild and you're right, that should be the opening for a future story. There's a lot there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, like, while you're editing and a cat, dead cat laying next to you is kind of freaky in itself, right? At yeah, I don't 100%. know what's wrong with me. I think I just, shock, maybe. I'll blame it on shock. 
you get a text from from the mother-in-law or whomever being like, hey, I'm, I can't look at this cat anymore. I'm putting it down. Like, whoa, I mean, that, <laughs> talk about like a character introduction. So yeah, you got a lot, you got a lot there to work with. Yo, yeah. And there's, there's a lot of background to that too. Um, you know, there were other texts like, uh, I gave away your dog, um, you know, oh and then God. we had to go find the dog. Yeah. Like Wait, things that like that she weren't too out of the ordinary. Yeah. She gave away, a dog. she gave away two dogs. One, well, one she threatened to give away and then we got it. And then the other one she gave away. Just straight up giveaway. Well, at least you didn't bury the cat in like a plastic bag. You ever hear stories about this, like in your childhood, where people like bury a, a cat or a dog in a plastic bag and they they forget to like let out the air, and then after a while it explodes, and then it it breaks the ground, and then you're left with this what? smell that's just horrible, and people have to go back in and dig up the dead dog because they, it's just so bad. Cody, yeah, you're or like writing you, my story for me. <laughs> it's terrible. This is terrible. <laughs> this is ter- I don't like this. I'm out. <laughs> I, I, I just like I'm learning so many terrible things. But you know what? Grief. I grief told you we were going to have about, fun with this. <laughs> yeah, it does bring about some terrible yeah. things. So, man, what a story. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's my story about the moment of death. Uh, Cody, I understand you've got a story about the the, the, the day of the dead. If we're day going, of the uh, day George of the Romero dead. This style. Is, this, yeah, this is kind. I mean, it's it's bittersweet. It's it's sad, and it's also kind of like peppered with a little bit of humor. I, I think, but maybe I've just got dark humor. But um, I never got to know any of my like paternal grandparents. They were long dead before I was born. I got to know my mother's father. He was a fu- he was a funny guy. Love uh, old old, you know, from a different era. Never wore a shirt, you know, worked at Motorola his entire <laughs> life. Chicago guy, was always in the pool. Remember Do- you know Doughboys, those pools, Doughboys that are like above ground oh, sure. pools. Yeah. This is Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona. He was retired, so he was out in the pool all day long. He was always bronze, never wore God a shirt, always had a cigarette from a different era and probably about like Four or five boilermakers deep by noon, you know, oh. just uh, enjoying the retirement life. Two TVs, big sports fans, so he always had like the Bears and the Cubs on two televisions, and he would just hold court. And I just remember going over there like every weekend, and uh, you know, I, I he, he could he was like the James Joyce of stringing curse words together. Like he was he was a wizard. <laughs> he had quite the vocab. And I'd act like I wasn't hearing anything because I didn't want my parents to know that I was like hearing things like, you know, I'm, I'm listening to the Shakespeare of, 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 uh, you know, curse words. And so, but, but lovable guy. I mean, I, he was just a, a great and uh, lovable fella and just like big bear hugs, uh, huge kisses. And, you know, and I hadn't experienced death or uh, loss. I, I'd seen it in movies and stuff like that, but I had never really... Like, no one close to me had uh, ever lost, like, someone that was, like, you know, a loved one or anything like that. So I never uh, experienced death or grief or loss up up to his his death. And he went pretty quick. Like, he had diabetes and, uh, like, kidney and, and liver problems. And it was just, like, within, like, four or five days, like, he was in the hospital. He was hospitalized and he wanted to get out of the hospital. And my mom and dad were going, like, every single night. And I kept on saying, like, hey, can I go see, can I go see Grandpa? And my mom was like, I, you, you, it's probably, you know, you don't want to see him. Remember him, like, you don't want to see him, like, in this kind of condition. Because I guess his skin had kind of, you know, turned color and eyes and all that kind of stuff. So late one night, my parents came home. And I was in bed acting like I was asleep. But I could tell, like, it, there was just, like, this solemn kind of, like, 
it just felt different when they came in when I heard them enter the house and then walk down the hall. And then the next morning, my mom woke me up and she was like, uh, hey, good morning. <laughs> like, good morning. <laughs> She's like, uh, your grandfather passed last night. And I was like, oh, shit. You know, and, and I was a kid. So, like, I just immediately, like, thought, like, I, kind of more selfish kind of things. Like, I'll, I'll never be able to do, you know, see him. And also, I, I, at the same time, I said, was thinking to myself, is there a way I can, because it was school season, is there a way I can stay home from school today? And my mom was like. Yeah, that's the real question. <laughs> so I should probably stay home from school today, right? You know, my yeah, so what do I? So passed. what do I get? Yeah. <laughs> well, and so she's like, you know, it's probably best if you go to school. So I was like, damn it. All right. But I sat there for a minute and she's like, hey, you know, just think he's he's playing baseball with Babe Ruth. He's playing baseball with all of his old, you know, he's reunited with all his family members. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like sad. You know, it was like the first time I, it, you know, it was just coming to grips with that. And then I walked down the hall into my parents' room because they had the nice bathroom. And that's where I would take my showers and stuff like that. And so I walk in and my dad goes, hey, come here. How you doing? I said, good. He goes, well, hey, happy birthday. And I was like, what? Oh, shit. It's my birthday. <laughs> I totally forgot that it was like, oh, my God. So my mom came in. She's like, happy birthday. And she had this, like, uh, door shirt. I was just getting into the doors. I was like, I was nine. I just turned 10. And so I was like, I didn't know what to do because I got this gift. But then it was also like, you know, my grandpa's dead. You know, I don't know how to how to take this get you know I don't know how to how to just comprehend all this uh so it was very str- strange I think I, I cried and then I I got in the shower and then I wore the the door shirt I had to go take the bus to school I didn't tell anybody that my grandpa died because I just didn't and people are like saying happy birthday dude happy birthday happy birthday and then I get to school I'm I'm just walking like a thin line of like uh I'm gonna lose it at any second, like trigger, you know, where it's like, I, I feel like I'm going to cry at any moment or just don't know what to feel. So I take off my chair and there's like all this candy on my desk and a card. And I was like, my teacher knows that my grandpa passed. And now this is like a, like condolences kind of card. So I open it up and it says, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. And I just, it was like the strangest thing to have, like, be on the verge of tears. And then also being like, thank you so much for the birthday cheers and, you know, birthday greetings and everything. Um, it was just an odd kind of, you know, marriage there for that day and grieving and then also celebrating a birthday. But it was the first time I experienced death also. And I just learned like, gosh, dang. And it's just like it, his, his death was pretty quick. It was like in the span of like four to five days. And I, I was 10 years old and it was like the first time I realized like, geez, you know, life is so fragile and you never know, honestly, like when you might be seeing somebody for the last time, you know, and you just never, you really never know. And you have to cherish every, Every single moment. And like, like you're saying, 2.5 billion heartbeats. If we're lucky. If we're lucky. You know? Because just... And I don't want to be like, oh, 
like one of those doom and gloom guys where it's just like you know when like jess goes out for a drive or something like that i always think like just please be careful when you're driving because you just never you really never know and then you know so i just at that age i learned to appreciate like my mother and my father and my sister and people that were uh really close to me and like it, it could all just in an instant be gone and to appreciate this life because it's just so frail it's, it's so and it can be beautiful and yeah there's shit in it there's it's tough and it's rough but it can also be quite beautiful yeah it's funny that moment of oh here here's all these gifts from my classmates sitting on my desk it must be because my grandfather died um that that really sticks out to me because there are moments when you are in experiencing trauma or experiencing grief, um, experiencing anything that's a strain on your mental health, where you can just get completely lost in the fantasy and your mind just starts running, almost like lose the reality completely. Overanalyze, paralyze, as they say. I had a moment like that, Josh, um, when Natalie was pregnant. You know, um, I, I'd have all the more moments where we, if she would go out, you know, once in a while, catastrophizing a little bit in my head. And um, she did actually get hit at one point during the pregnancy. It was a very minor traffic accident, ultimately, very small thing. But receiving the phone call and, you know, fortunately, she started it with, I'm okay, <laughs> um, which I was very appreciative of. But because the next couple sentences, you know, did something to my body. So, yeah, I hear that. I hear that big time. Yeah. Well, so my story was about the moment. Cody's story was about the day. But Patrick, you've you've got a story that spans uh, more than a decade. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, it's been interesting kind of thinking about this story within the context of our conversation today. Um, so for starters, I, I grew up with uh, and still have hemophilia, which is a, a life-threatening chronic illness. So I'm, it's really well managed, but at its core... Biologically, I have something that is life-threatening. So this sense of death and doom um, has always had a little bit of a heightened, um, it's always been a little heightened for me. But I mentioned that more specifically because when I was 18, I started going to the camp uh, that I had gone to as a camper for kids like me as a counselor. And I, I loved it. And I mean, this place was my home away from home, as many campers described it over the years. It was the six days that I looked forward to, the other 359 a year. Um, and it was a camp that was started by Paul Newman. Um, and the reason that's relevant is because the first summer I'm working there, in between sessions, was the first time I was ever on those campgrounds, even though I'd been going there for, in one way or another, for well over a decade, um, or I guess about a decade at that time. It was the first time I'd been there where it was quiet. And it was kind of creepy in a way to be in an environment that I was so used to being filled with energy and filled with people and vibrancy. And, and, and then it's just like the campers are gone, the staff is on break, and it's just quiet campgrounds. So that was kind of like a little eerie and weird to get used to. And I remember vividly one of those first breaks, not knowing what to do with myself. Um, I opened a Time magazine that was just somewhere in some common area because Paul Newman was on the cover and he started the camps and he's a storytelling role model of mine. Um, and inside, it covered a, a bunch of different artists, including James Dean. And there was a line in there about all the great, you know, what the great films that James Dean was in and all the great films he'd go on to uh, star in and direct. And I remember thinking, wow, he's getting credit not only for what he did, but he's getting credit for what he might have done. And not only in the discipline we know him from, but as a director. 
wow like and it just got me thinking about like when people die young all the ways in which we try to cope with that and the way we lionize and and glorify by the way in true haunting season fashion my printer behind me right now has just it's making sounds i haven't heard before and sequences i'm unfamiliar <laughs> with so i had a light flickering incident during cody's oh story in case it looks darker if you're watching on youtube so if I don't make it to the end of this story, <laughs> y'all know why. But anyway, we're just gonna, we're just gonna, and you can have a whole another story about grief to to use after that. But, um, but anyway, getting back on track. So, I was looking at that magazine. I'm thinking about early death. I'm thinking about potential. Um, and then later on in that summer, um, I'm. It's now deep into the summer. I definitely feel like I've got my bearings. Um. And it's late one night, the camp director is going to come by our cabin. He's going around apparently to all of them to meet with staffs one by one. This was unusual. So I knew immediately this was something important. And so he gathered all of us in this tiny room. Again, it's late night, it's late in the summer, and it's like day four or five in the seven-day session. So everyone's just tired. And uh, he mentions that a camper who is a, a regular for many years and had been up earlier that summer, uh, that camp had just found out he passed away earlier that day. And... Um, as he was sharing that, he uh, he got very emotional. And I don't know if you guys, you know, have this experience where like somebody is delivering news or telling you something and they're telling you the thing, but you know the whole time that there's like something deeper, there's something else going on, there's like something that isn't yet being said. And uh, for me in this moment, that was when he broke down and said, you know, we, we only have these kids for less than a week. And it's a reminder to give him everything we got. And that's what he was there to say. That was what he was clearly, he had to deliver this horrible news, but it was clear to me in that moment, his message was, just remember, don't miss an opportunity to make a moment, give them everything we've got. And so I went on the rest of that summer with that idea in mind and wanting to take that camper's death and use it just as extra incentive to give every kid I came in contact with moments and memories as best I could. Well. Fast forward uh, a little over two years later, and I find out, uh, just as I'm wrapping up school and getting ready to enter the professional adult world, that my brother, who was also born with this thing, hemophilia, um, overnight passed away from a totally freak incident. And when I received that information, you know, I just finished this mind-body awareness class with my entire, was in, I was in acting school, and with my entire four-year class, like we've been going to this class every week for four years, and this was our final one, and talk about ending something in such like a centered, grounded place. I come out of that, my phone's blown up, and that's the news I received. So it just hit me, I think about as hard as a piece of news could hit a person. I've never been as open, I don't think, as I was in that moment, and then that was what came next. But I thought back um, to... I mean, immediately as I started writing on the plane, I was in Boston going to New York and, and two hours later I'm on an emergency flight and I'm writing at that moment, it's not about him, it's about us. He is already gone, but we are still here and we have to deal with him being gone, but we are still here. And I thought about that idea of give him everything we've got, give him everything we've got. And I continued to go to camp and work as a counselor and volunteer and, and do that there. But then I wanted to figure out how I could take that into my life more broadly. Um, what is it that I've got and how can I give it everything so that other people like Adam won't have this experience? Um, Paul Newman was my storytelling role model, but I, I realized in that, at that around that time, like I'm not following a path of a Paul Newman. I'm following the path of someone who needs to use what I have to try to 
it sounds grandiose, but to try to save lives, you know, at its at its at its most elevated state, and that gave way to founding a nonprofit called Entertainment to Affect Change, to founding the content agency and production company Believe Limited, that has done a whole bunch of great work, including enabling the rebirth of haunting season. So, you know, when I think about my brother and his impact on my life and his the ripple effect that his life had, um, I'm so proud to see all the things that his life influenced and, and impacted. Um, and at the same time, something I've had to come to grips with in the last few years as I've uh, I met my now wife and we got married and and settled down and and now we have a child um, is that that great activity and using all that energy to create good from bad does not eliminate or completely exhaust the grief. Um, it's still there. You know, I don't believe there is such a thing as like turning tragedy into comedy, you know, those kind of kitschy phrases. I think you can use the energy and you can use the story and you can you can use irony. You know, there's ways that you can make the best of something bad. Um, and I'd like to think that I've done about as well as I could to make the best of my brother's death. But that didn't mean that the personal grief wasn't still there. And to some degree, I spent so much time on the building of these things he inspired that I didn't take the time when I, when maybe I should have, or at least earlier on in my, in my process to see how grief was working on me and where grief was trapped in me and where grief was going to, uh, you know, re poke its head up and, and somewhere unexpected. So yeah, Josh, to go to your prompt, like it's certainly, it has spanned more than a decade, this, this story and, and my brother's impact and thinking about his life and the grief from his death and, how it has shifted and moved and changed and also how it is still something that is with me and, and I think always will be to some extent. Yeah, and for me, it all boils down to that word impact because as I was writing the beginning of this episode, I was realizing and, and you know, as I was talking to my my friend who's, who's in the process of passing away, which is just such a weird thing to think about, to know that your yeah. time is limited and, and to know that your friend's time is limited, that, that impact. I made a video for him saying like, you know, you changed the trajectory of my life when I met you. Um, and he had no idea. He just had absolutely no mm -hmm. idea. Um, and that those, those mm -hmm. impacts can feel so small to us and, and just be huge and long lasting. Adam will never know. I mean, hope if depending on which, you know, reality happens after we die, but you know, and as far as the, the <laughs> sure. being alive, Adam will never know that his impact is rippling throughout history um, and just growing no. year by year, which is so cool. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So thank you for giving us the chance to share these stories in this context. And it's cool too to hear, you know, you guys share um, intimate experiences with grief and it, it, it helps, it helps normalize it for me. You know, I feel less like, oh, this is something I'm carrying and, and, and worry about and think about. It's really nice to be able to bounce these stories off each other. So thank you guys for creating the space for it and for in inviting me to be a part well, of it. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah. You know, it, it, your story is inspirational. Yeah, thank you both for being vulnerable. And uh, for everybody listening, grief is a common human thing that we all share. If you've got a grief story and you're holding on to it and you want to get it out, I, I look at haunting season as a community. So feel free to share whatever you want in the comments. I'll, re I'll reply to everything. Uh, thanks so much for watching. <laughs> we got 2.5 billion heartbeats left. <laughs> yeah, we'll be back next week. Uh, and yeah, roll the credits. 
Hunting Season was created by me, Joshua Sterling Gregg. Produced by Greg Holdsman and Jessica Richmond. And executive produced by Matt Gielen, Patrick James Lynch, and Ryan Gielen. And is a joint production of Believe Limited and Matt Gielen. This episode was written and hosted by Cody Dugan and Joshua Sterling Bragg. It was edited by Colby Crow. And select music in this episode was made exclusively for the podcast by North Innsbruck. If you like our show, please subscribe on your favorite platform. We have a video version of the show on YouTube and Facebook and audio versions on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Is that good? Oh boy. <laughs>